Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Joining me is Locked on Rockets podcast host, Jackson Gatlin, who somehow has been pumping out nonstop interesting content for the last few months with no NBA games, no draft, no free agency, and for the most part, no end in sight. So as we close in on maybe having games, Jackson, it's kind of fitting that our last hope is Disney, where the theme that gets stuck in your head for eternity is, it's a small world after all. <laughs> First off, happy to be back here again, Robert. Always, always a pleasure joining the show. Now, you know, it has been a little rough at times. You know, the, the content has looked a little bleak at times. Um, no, it's it's honestly been a great challenge to try and find, you know, things that are exciting to talk uh, talk about when there is breaking news. You know, when we get that little scrap of news about, you know, the NBA is thinking about doing this or a player comes out to say talk about this. And, you know, so it's been a fun I don't want to say it's been a fun few months because that kind of, I'm not trying to downplay what's been going on, but it's been an interesting few months as far as the content side of things go. And it is nice to finally, you know, see the light at the end of the tunnel with the NBA attempting to return to play July 30th. Now we have a released schedule. We've got all this news pouring out. And so there is a ray of hope, a ray of sunshine. And hopefully we will be talking about actual basketball games and not just hypothetical basketball games in the not so distant future. Yeah, the NBA is living in, in the small world that is Disney, but it's also it's kind of what the problem is, Jackson. The world maybe is too small at this second, isn't it, with all the viruses going? You know, I mean, we see so much going on already with, you know, ju- just today, the news. Bro- was it today or yesterday? I, either today or yesterday, as we're recording this pod on a Tuesday evening. The news of the uh, the Brooklyn Nets and how basically five of their players all tested positive for COVID or won't won't be going to won't be going to Orlando. So do are they even able to field a roster at this point? It's it's kind of absurd thinking about how this is all teetering on like just this this edge where it could go so poorly so fast, but. The controlling parties at hand, the the NBA, the Board of Governors, the players really are the ones that are pushing so hard for the resumption of their season because the owners would take a financial hit. Yeah, but the players are the ones who would be who would sorely miss their paychecks if there's not some type of resumption of the NBA season. So it's there's still so much in the works to see how this all plays out. But, you know, I'm just trying to tread cautiously moving forward with my optimism. Yeah, you just said it. It's like the Brooklyn Nets, everybody's going down. So, you know, that was the big criticism with the NBA when they made the schedule up. It's like you need to make it as compact as amount of teams as possible because the more people you're inviting to the party, the more things could go off the track a little bit with the the virus hitting a a team or a group or whatever. And I mean, that's that's kind of that was kind of the danger to begin with, with a 22 team deal instead of the 16 team. We're going you know, maybe straight into the playoffs. You know, I I would have been a bigger fan of, say, bringing 20 teams as opposed to 22. I know at that point you're kind of, it's just, you know, very minimal the difference, you know, in bringing an extra two teams. But when you've got this slim margin for error as far as how badly things could potentially go at, at Disney, you know, looking at it, 
maybe they should have just gone straight to the playoffs, but then you you jeopardize all these other teams that we you know were close to making the cut. But in the East, you've just got the Wizards. In the West, you know it's really probably going to fall between the Grizzlies and the Pelicans, anyways. You know I don't think teams would have been that upset if they had been cut from the running. And you know maybe at that point you just pointed them, you say, hey, play better next year. Um, you know for the COVID Cup Part Two. But as far as the teams that are going, you know, just all these precautions in place. I covered it in detail on a recent podcast over at Locked on Rockets. Just all the precautions being put in place so that these players will, you know, it is a bubble. Yes, there will be people coming and going from the bubble, but they are going to be so secluded and they will have time to hang out with other players. But there's so many different precautions in place that I really think that the NBA has thought this through. And even though Florida is kind of like a COVID epicenter right now, one of the worst states, I think the Disney bubble is probably going to be a generally safe place for these players to live for the next two to three months. Yeah, isn't it funny that they were thinking about Vegas? And when you think of Vegas, it's usually the Petri dish of life, but it's it's Orlando that looks like the Petri dish. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, Vegas is uh, it's a bit interesting, uh, but, you know, I, I think that, that Disney made, you know, a it was a great idea to go to Disney. They just it, the the worldwide center of sports is just it makes so much sense. So they were thinking about Houston actually as one of the de- destinations. And, you know, I still think Disney is a better choice. But, you know, di- Houston did make some sense with George R. Brown Convention Center right there. Toyota Center right next door. You've got the U of H facilities right down the road. It, it would have made a lot of sense. It's probably still on the table if the remaining eight teams that didn't get invited to Orlando henceforth, you know, referred to as the Del- Elite eight, if they are adamant that they have some type of a, you know, consolation bubble to play in, then Houston and or Vegas might still very well be on the table. You brought on a variety of different guests over the last few months. Are there a couple of things that you've learned from your guests about the Rockets or the NBA in general, or even a way that you're looking at basketball a little differently over that time? I'll go with two. And first of which, uh, fan favor. We all love him. Uh, none other than the Rockets' very own Matt Bullard had him on the show. And one area that I wanted to get his opinion on was the this argument that seems to stem from Rockets fans, and even myself at times, is should James Harden use the mid-range, right? Should he utilize the mid-range? And or, or sorry, that he should utilize the mid-range more, right? That's the Rockets fans have been pressing him for a couple of years now. It feels like that he, you know, should be utilizing that area of the floor more, that he's bought too much into Mori Ball. I've heard all these arguments before. I, and I agree with a lot of them. I think that his game would be a little bit more varied, a little bit less predictable if he were to incorporate a bit of the mid-range, a la, say, Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant. However, I've also received some pushback from this from some of the more analytical Rockets fans. So Matt Bullard shared that he does believe and agree that James should use the mid-range at the end of a game, that it shouldn't become like a a, a huge part of his game, but that when you really need a bucket, the mid-range is there and the shot should be taken from there. So I had a bit of validation from that from Matt Bullard because if he's over there calling games on the sideline and you know being as plugged in as he is as as, you know one of the broadcasters for the Houston Rockets to kind of get that sense of validation I I was like okay great he's on our team too to an extent as far as expecting James to use that shot you know if he if there's no other option basically I agree 
Most people would, you know, the mid range is a great tool and I appreciate Mori ball for all it's done. And I don't expect James to suddenly walk out there and start heaving up, you know, eight to 10 mid range jumpers a game. I just think, you know, put up a couple, right. Rather than forcing yourself to drive all the way to the basket, every single possession or work yourself into a step back three work in the mid range a little bit. We used to see him utilize that area of the floor and it's since disappeared largely over the last two years. Now, in place of that, he did work on his floater quite a bit, but James Harden's floater isn't a traditional floater because he he puts it up so close to the basket. You know, it's almost like this little teardrop, and I don't really consider it a true floater like, say, you know, the the Mike Conley, who's got a really popular floater. But the second one would be Ali Kambijani of The Athletic, who, you know, anybody who's following him on Twitter knows he he posts incredible breakdown videos. And the most enlightening thing that he told me was one of the reasons that they – have struggled this season as far as transition defense, both pre-small ball and post-small ball, was because it's about shot selection. And if you got your two guys in the two corners, those two guys have to be the first guys back to stop any transition uh, opportunities for the opposing team. And if they're not getting back in transition, then they that that completely opens up the court for the opposing team to take advantage of the Rockets in transition. And part of that stems from he he explained that they have to take back and they can't just run straight back in a straight line along the along the courtside seats. They have to sprint back and get to the middle of the court to be the first line of defense against the opposing team's transition offense. So there was a breakdown that we did with him and he goes into even more detail than that, but those were probably my two biggest revelations, I guess, or one validation, one revelation about the Rockets system during this hiatus. And that was the one thing that you really missed from Trevor Ariza ball, because that's what, what what he did so well was get back in transition. And really that that 17, 18 team, you can go back and look at them and that team top to bottom was chock full of really defense, either defensive minded players or two way players. Cause I can go back and look at that roster and just off the top of my head, the only two players that were not a force to an extent on defense were Ryan Anderson and James Harden himself. And even James Harden, again, you know, you put him in isolation, drop him in the post, he will hold his own and he can hold his own on select possessions when he's really dialed in. Ryan Anderson is just a big net negative on the defensive end. So really he was the only liability and we saw him phased out near the second half of the season anyways. And then from that point on, you had guys like PJ Tucker, Luke Mbamute, Trevor Ariza, Eric Gordon, who is a phenomenal two-way player. You had all these guys where everybody was a, a positive on the defensive side of the court. And really the only guy who was kind of a you know neutral party was James Harden himself. So you had this group of guys, great defenders, Everybody could switch, and, and we're starting to see that a little bit more with this current Rockets small ball team with everybody being you know, either a neutral or a plus on the defensive side of the court. So, okay, here's the deal. The Rockets schedule comes out this week, and, and Jackson, I, I want to rattle off the eight games really quick, and it's going to be weird not to refer to any of these games as either home or away. They're all neutral, neutral side games, of course, but the eight games, Mavs, Bucks, Blazers, Lakers, Kings, Spurs, Pacers, and Sixers. What struck you about this schedule when it was released? Honestly, I was just looking at it thinking, man, that is a bit of a gauntlet. And my immediate second reaction was, please don't lose to Portland again. (laughs) Um, They have no business losing to the Trailblazers. Honestly, all things considered, looking at some of the other team schedules out there, the Rockets don't have that hard of a path. The two games that 
stand out to me the most are first off against the Dallas Mavericks because you got to win to separate yourself a bit. And for anybody listening who's wondering, well, what does seeding matter if there's no home court advantage? It matters because of who you play in the actual playoffs, right? It matters because of brackets. And the Rockets would love to find themselves now, especially with the announcement that Avery Bradley will not be joining the Lakers in Orlando. The Rockets would love to find themselves in the bracket that would face the Los Angeles Lakers in the second round rather than facing the Clippers in the second round. So you got to win that game against the Mavericks to be able to put yourself right now there. I think it's a game and a half back. Hang on. I got seating right here. Yeah, so right now they are a game a ha- game and a half ahead of the Dallas Mavericks in the sixth seed with the Mavericks comfortably in the seventh seed. So if you win this game, you win the tiebreaker as they are currently one and one against the Mavericks in this season. So you walk away with the tiebreaker. You walk away with a full two and a half game cushion against the Mavericks. And I think at that point, you pretty much guarantee yourself to not fall below the sixth seed. And the Blazers, I haven't paid enough attention. They had a ton of injuries. Are there, any of those guys coming back that they had lost well the Blazers are weird because you've got Dame who's been crying on Damian Lillard's been crying all over social media about not wanting to come back and not wanting to play in the bubble and Trevor Ariza isn't coming back to the bubble so they, they've got this you know hodgepodge group of guys where I don't know yet at this point it hasn't because he hasn't been vocal about it about whether or not he's actually going to it's just been a lot of crying on Twitter unfortunately I at this point I think there's there should be penalties if he doesn't play in the bubble due to like health concerns or if he opts out. Um, I don't know enough about that quite just yet. It was one of more of those, like as far as when I saw Portland, I thought about it and it was just one of those, you know, thinking back to how poorly the Rockets played in those two games that they did lose against Portland this season. And it was more just one of those, like, please don't let that happen again because social media will fly away with that. The the national pundits will take that and devour it and, and use it as a source to claim that small ball doesn't work. The Rockets aren't legitimate contenders. Kind of one of those things, because if you lose to one of those under 500 teams, which it's going to be Portland, Sacramento and San Antonio, if you lose to any of those under 500 teams, the national media is going to have a field day with it. That's the thing about the Blazers is yeah, I actually have no idea what they're going to have because, you know, the Collins and Nurkic, I mean, I, I, I don't even know where they are in, in, in all of of this but uh let me ask you uh, this because it might be a layup for you jackson but can you rattle off five quick reasons this weird layoff and crazy format specifically helps the rockets and i know you guys have i'm sure talked about that a ton oh oh man <laughs> quite a bit um okay let me see if i can actually segment it into five specific reasons first of which and this is the biggest one is rest you know this might be the obvious one but it really does benefit the Rockets more than any other team in the league because they're the oldest team in the league. Their shooting numbers tend to be better after right after the All-Star break. And I looked at like guys specifically like PJ Tucker. So those numbers kind of back up that statement. But rest um, and then kind of I guess we'll make this point too, like healing from injuries and not not just rest, but healing from injuries. So you'll have Eric Gordon back. He is the big one is missing Eric Gordon for you know, much of the season, you know, he started the season, yes, but he wasn't right. Then he came back, you know, missed a chunk of games, came back, wasn't kind of had to work himself into the system. And we were starting to see, you know, this the regular version of Eric Gordon that we're used to where he's the third best player on the team. And I still don't think he's been that to this point in the season. So getting him healed up, Harden had, you know, some miscellaneous little injuries here and there. Russell Westbrook gets more time. Obviously, he was on the 
uh, preventative measure, doesn't play back-to-backs system. So there's that. So injuries is another one. Point three, it gives them time to actually gel. Um, they didn't get a training camp. Whenever you in, whenever you orchestrate a midseason trade like that for Clint Capella and Robert Covington, where you ship out your starting center and bring in another starter, you don't get a full preseason, a full training camp to gel with your guys, to build that chemistry, to you know learn about each other as teammates. You got to learn on the fly. So now they get that time with Robert Covington specifically to get him you know worked further into the system, um, and that that might be the biggest reason the rest and the injuries are huge but that i look forward to the most of you know having giving this team a few weeks of training camp of preseason to really kind of iron out any kinks in the system and come back you know guns blazing once the actual seeding games start for four and five slim jim harden is going to have to be in there which i'm sure we'll talk about in detail a little bit more but harden's weight loss is a big one and then let's see number five honestly Probably just Harden and Westbrook's hunger to win a title and knowing that this is as good of an opportunity as anybody else because now the playing field really is level and it's going to be – Austin Rivers made a good point about this on social media not long ago that there is going to be an asterisk on this title. But it's because it's going to be the hardest title that anybody's ever won because of all the factors going into it. So it's not an asterisk because it's an easier title. It's an asterisk because things are going to be super difficult for these players. And thinking about Harden and Westbrook and the one thing that they haven't accomplished is winning a title. You know, they're going to come in with a bit of a chip on their shoulder. And obviously, James Harden and Russ have been taking this hiatus very seriously. They haven't, you know, there were a lot of jokes about James Harden maybe coming back you know, into the into the season overweight. And instead, he's dropped about 15, 20 pounds. He's slim. He's going to be light on his feet. It's going to be a different version of him. And same thing for Russ. You constantly would see videos of him working out, you know, every single day, staying in tip top shape so that I think their drive and desire to win is at an all time high. They've got this time to, you know, they had this time to focus, to get rejuvenated, and they're going to come back hungry for a title. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I also will throw in as a maybe a sixth factor. Uh, you talk about the rest. Uh, D'Antoni, not known for resting guys over the course of the season. He had to rest guys for four months. <laughs> he had no choice this time. And so yeah. <laughs> I, I love all this chatter about the Harden Slim Jim bod, as you mentioned. But I, I'm going to give you two pushbacks on it. Number one. Wasn't his strength as a player, his ability to take the contact when he went to the basket? And number two, if he wasn't in the shape he needed to be in before, boy, doesn't this speak directly to his critics who said he wasn't as focused on doing everything he could do to win? I mean, we can't change the past, but now there's going to be, I told you so guy out there chirping a lot, Jackson. (laughs) Those are two great points. Um, So to address the first one, you know, that that was a major concern right out of the gate. You know, when the pictures first dropped of, of James Harden and everybody's looking at him thinking, man, he's lost some weight. A lot of the, the first two points everybody goes to is, OK, well, will he still be able to absorb the contact offensively and defensively? Will he still be effective 
at guarding the post, which is largely where the Rockets, especially in their new small ball system, have utilized him on switches to opposing bigs, things like that. You know, James Harden is 6'5 and a great post defender. He's also got a 6'10", 6'11", wingspan. So he's able to kind of, you know, battle with bigs without much effort. And a lot of that did stem from his, you know, his larger frame. Now, that was one other other area that I spoke with Ali Kambijani about, and he did mention that for an NBA player, just you know, for any athlete in general, you know, losing some of that excess upper body weight, as long as his core muscles haven't drastically changed, his post defense won't be impacted by that because that's where a lot of your post defense comes from is being able to utilize that leverage in your lower body and in your core against an opposing player who's trying to back you down. So the the weight that it seems like he lost was a lot of upper body weight. And I still think he'll be able to absorb contact offensively. And in a way, he probably will be able to avoid more contact by being more explosive. James Harden already had a deceptively quick first step to the basket. Uh, you, you think about all the times he lulls a defender to sleep and then explodes. He's not a guy like Russ who has this you know, explosive first step, but he's still got a quick first step. So now he's going to be lighter on his feet and probably a bit more explosive on those initial drives, which will lead to less contact overall because he had to rely on his craftiness to get past the defender and then he would muscle past them and absorb some of the contact for the finish. Now it's probably going to look a little bit more like Russ drives where he's still going to be crafty and he's still going to be able to slip past his defender because of his handles, but he should be able to get further past the defender and not have to deal with the brunt of contact as much. So I'm looking forward to that. And as far as the, the critics who are going to be saying, Oh, I told you so, you know, he wasn't as focused. Yeah, you can make those arguments. James, the best shape James Harden was in, throughout his career was that 17, 18 season when Chris Paul first came to Houston is James Harden joined that season. And he looked to be in the best shape of his career. I remember some of the off season photos that leaked of him that summer and he was looking shredded. Like there was not any excess weight on his upper body. Now he was still listed at 215, 220, So he was still carrying the weight, but he didn't have any of the, you know, the, the, the flab, right? He didn't look overweight. And I don't think, again, you can criticize a, a world-class athlete for looking overweight when I'm you know, sitting over here and I get winded walking up three flights of stairs, but there will be criticisms and he's going to have to face those. If people are saying, well, why didn't he do this sooner? Well, he did it now. And, you know, he took the time. He took the hiatus. He did it now. He thinks this is the right way for his body to change moving forward. And we'll see the fruits of his labor once the NBA is actually back. Look, if there's something that I wanted him to take from MJ, it was the work ethic, but Jackson... The one concern is don't watch that MJ doc, James, and think, you know what? I need to be staying out till about four in the morning and I, I'm going to be playing golf all day. Uh, some guys get away with that and some guys don't. You know, I want to see I want to see the James Harden that goes, hey, look, Jordan, he played defense. He played both ends of the floor all the time. He did not take possessions off. And there you go. That's the difference. That's the that's what I want to see him ha having got from that whole documentary. Hey, man, you and me both. And let, well, first off, who, el who else's jersey are they going to hang in the rafters of Houston strip clubs if James Harden isn't, you know, <laughs> out, out there causing trouble? To no, I, I kid. But, you know, maybe seeing some of that will, you know, will help kind of light a fire under James and kind of see, you know, it, it did glorify MJ a little bit. I enjoyed the documentary overall, but it, it did glorify him a bit. But it, it'll show some of the, the tough stuff that goes on. And I think that he was growing into the leader role that 16-17 season, and then he had Chris Paul come in, who has always been the vocal 
you know, vocal and emotional leader wherever he's played. And so he kind of was able to not fill that role for a couple of years with Chris Paul being here because that was just de, fa- de facto Chris Paul's role on the team was the the vocal leader and James was just the James was the best player but not the vocal leader. Now he's the best player and I still think Russ is also that kind of emotional leader, but I think James realizes too that this is his team and that that, that he needs to fulfill that role specifically as it being, you know, with it being his team and part of that is accountability and part of that is, you know, being the best player on the court at all times. And and giving, you know, his best effort on the defensive side of the ball and not taking certain plays off and not falling asleep on defense, you know, on a random possession and then, you know, flapping his arms up and, you know, being upset at his at, at his team for not covering his mistake. We see that a fair bit from him and from Russ. Is there the two defensive weak links on the Rockets besides Ben McLemore? But I've I've slandered Ben McLemore enough. I don't see him getting significant minutes in Orlando because of his defense. But they can't be best player one, second best player on the team and not try every single possession defensively. And I hope that, like you, I hope that he takes that away from the dock and cares a bit more about that side of the basketball because there's such a slim margin for error with small ball. You don't have a center back there like Clint Capella to mop up your mistakes if you're not giving 100% effort on the perimeter. And there's no reason, no reason with the athletic ability that James Harden and Russell Westbrook have that they can't be some of the best athlete defenders in the NBA. They, they, they've got it. It's all there. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be a, a question of. Well, I don't. I don't think they're capable of this. No, absolutely not. You know, Russ is obviously a peak athlete, and, and it's always been for Russ and and for James. It's always been about decision making on that side of the ball. Russ specifically, his decision making is questionable at times, both offensively and defensively. It just his his basketball IQ is off sometimes and and, you know he takes some risks he takes some gambles on that side of the ball you know whether it be for a steal or just you know a a misread on the defense how whatever it is for James same thing you know sometimes the read is just wrong and you allow you know a backdoor layup or, or whatever it is but there there are plenty of clips out there that you can find on social media on YouTube of both of those guys being dialed in on defense they have the athletic ability to do it it's about wanting to do it every single possession and not just deciding to do it when it's crunch time or deciding to do it when you're in a game seven versus a game one, you know, things like that. It's about wanting to do it every single possession because then that puts you ahead that get, that helps you build healthy leads. And we know with as volatile as the Houston Rockets offense can be because they rely so heavily on that three point shot that you need to also put yourself in the best position possible defensively so that when you do hit those dry spells on offense, you're not suddenly falling behind by 10, 15 points. You know, maybe they catch back up and your defense is still, you know, humming along smoothly. That was what the 17, 18 team could hang their hat on was their defense because they were a top 10 defensive team and a top 10 offensive team. And so that's kind of where I'd like them to get back to. Can you think of any ways this layoff or the Orlando setup or any of this specifically hurts the Rockets? It's going to be just and this might be kind of a cop out answer, but like think about rust, right? You think about the NBA and how the players come in from the offseason and use those first maybe say what preseason and then the first like 10 to 12 games to kind of work themselves into shape. Now, that's not going to be an issue with 
Russ and James specifically, and even the other Houston Rockets, is these players have been keeping themselves in shape because they most players haven't treated this like a summer vacation. They've treated it like an actual hiatus. They've still been working out. They've still been doing everything they need to do to keep their bodies fresh for this for the NBA season coming back. Some haven't, pointing at you, Luka Doncic. But I don't think that's going to be the issue. It's just going to be not having played five-on-five basketball for months now. And so I think we're going to see a lot of rust when the gates first open back up. We're going to see a lot of sloppy basketball right out, right, right during the uh, the preseason that comes out in Orlando. Those first three games that the Rockets play for their preseason lineup, those are going to be very interesting. I think the first few tune-up games, the first few seeding games, I should say, are going to be pretty ugly, honestly. It's going to look like early season basketball, so nobody should expect peak NBA basketball from the get-go. These players are going to need some time to get back into, you know, five-on-five style basketball, even if they've been playing, you know, one-on-one at home or getting shots up at a hoop somewhere. It's not the same as five-on-five NBA basketball, so that's probably the biggest area of worry for everybody not just the Rockets is being rusty when they come back you mentioned Russ that's maybe something that might hurt the Rockets a little bit because with no fans he's such an emotional player and feeds off of that maybe that hurts him a little bit just that he can't feed off the crowd that is a really great point about Russ you know he is one of those guys you see him get hyped up you know he he thrives off that energy he thrives off the negative energy when he's in you know uh, opposing stadiums but I don't I mean I don't see it negatively impacting his game he just might not be as hyped up as he usually is but but Russ has you know in interview time and time again you know he said you know he steps on the court he's got no friends out there you know everybody's his enemy you know his only friend out there is Spalding so they you know which when they switch next season to uh to what is it they're switching the basketball from Spalding to the to Wilson next season so that was a funny little joke right there um Russ losing his best friend <laughs> uh, but you know it's it's going to be i think it's going to be weird um and and Austin Rivers spoke about this a little bit too by saying that he thinks that there's going to be some players who thrive off of them off of their not being fans. So I think much less so Russ struggling because there's not fans or not being able to feed off that energy. I think we might see other players, you know, deeper in the rotation of certain teams, you know, the the ninth or the 10th man on some rosters who suddenly start thriving because they don't have the distractions of a crowd. And there might even be some stars out there who play better because they don't have all that crowd noise to deal with or or the distractions in the stands, whatever. And I think that's going to be fun to see is which players thrive and which are thrown off by the atmosphere that they're playing in or lack of an atmosphere, I should say. And just to piggyback off of the lack of fans and what that's going to mean, you know, the Rockets over the years, they've been known for chirping a lot to the refs and you you don't have the crowd to muffle that out now. So, uh, and there's, there's no Chris Paul this year. So that, that helps, but yeah, you, you, you better keep the chirping because the the, the refs are going to hear everything now. So uh, you can't just like uh, speak in the other direction and hope that the fans muffle it up. So that's that's I, I will bring that up. But I, I got uh, just a couple more for you. And first of all, you know, lost in the shuffle for the Rockets fans might have been a little move that they made recently releasing Isaiah Hartenstein and bringing in David Nwaba. And Jackson, I know you've jumped into the details of this on your show But can you explain a little bit what was behind this move? Because I'm sure there are plenty of fans that might be going, wait, what? Who? So the skinny of it is 
small ball is here to stay. This move was a clear indicator of two things, that small ball is here to stay and that Mike D'Antoni might not be as out the door as fans have been pushing for and, you know, national media have been, you know, discussing for months on end. Is this Mike D'Antoni's final season in Houston? Because small ball is the brainchild of Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni. It is it is exactly what MDA was trying to achieve back in his Phoenix days. He's he and even, you know, others Steve Nash have been on record as saying that they didn't go as hard with it back in Phoenix as they had wished they could and this is now this version the the finalized dream of what Morey ball and small ball can be. So the Nwaba signing is, you know, he's not going to be part of the team this season. He won't be joining the team in Orlando. I believe um, that don't come back and quote me on that with the words that I'm using with my voice. But um, <laughs> I, I do not know yet if he's joining the team in Orlando, if he'll be required to because he is currently rehabbing from an Achilles injury. So he won't be present this season. Now, he may or may not be forced to. I can't imagine that he'd be forced to travel to Orlando if he's not going to play. So let's just put that out there. But it was an it was a signing for the future. It's a signing for next season. So this was the organization and and ownership dedicating you know nine hundred thousand dollars to David Nwaba for this season to have him locked down for the following season because he's a six five wing who can defend and who was shooting the three ball pretty well up until his Achilles injury. And I know a lot of people are looking at it like, well, why would you get rid of Isaiah Hartenstein? Why would you get rid of a promising young big? Because unfortunately, he just doesn't fit the mold of what they're trying to accomplish with small ball. And you can maybe make the argument that it would have made more sense to wave Tyson Chandler instead of Isaiah Hartenstein. But the Rockets are also going after a certain mold of player. That player is a type of guy like David Nwaba, who is about you know anywhere from 6'4 to 6'7 or 6'8 with a long wingspan. Nwaba is 6'5, but he's got a seven-foot wingspan. And so that kind of matches Robert Covington, who is 6'7, yeah, but he's got a seven-foot-two wingspan. So they're going after this mold of player who can cover all five positions defensively, who have long wingspans for contesting shots. And Isaiah Hartenstein just didn't match that that mold. He he was a seven footer. Yeah, but he only had like it was a six eleven seven foot wingspan, not a huge wingspan for a guy his size. So they said, all right, you know, we're just going to part ways. And it does hurt a little bit. It stings a little bit because he showed promise in certain you know spot minutes earlier in the season. And there was some hopes that he could maybe, you know, get some, you know, 10, 15 minutes a night, you know, in the non Russell Westbrook lineups to, you know, have James Harden have a lob threat. But I don't necessarily see that as a negative thing, and I look forward to what Nwaba can bring next season when he's, you know, finished rehabbing his Achilles injury. Is it safe to say that in the offseason, whatever offseason that they're going to have this year, there, there would have been no trade value for Hartenstein? I mean, I think the Rockets are in this peculiar position where they just don't have any, like, dealable contracts. You could maybe gauge the interest of, like, P.J. Tucker on the open market, but they're they're just they're largely locked into this team that they have. There's not unless you're looking at potentially dealing a guy like Eric Gordon who is coming off of a down season now with his injury, you know, unless he comes back and is somehow super explosive in the playoffs and, you know, really puts on a great show, that's really your only trade chip anymore. They've given away so many of their first round draft picks. They don't have any young prospects. You know, our Hartenstein wasn't going to fetch a rotational player, you know, in the offseason, whatever, you know, like you said, whatever offseason we have. But 
I do think one thing is clear is that there's usually a lot of bickering amongst Rockets fans about, you know, ownership not doing everything that they can to improve the team's chances and, you know, maybe some arguments about Timlin Fertitta not not spending as much as he could on putting a championship caliber team out there. This was him biting the bullet on nine hundred thousand dollars on a million dollars, basically, uh, in the midst of a pandemic where he was, you know, extremely adversely affected because of, you know, his business empire being so centered around restaurant and hospitality. And he basically just dumped a, dumped a million down the drain to guarantee that the Rockets would have David Nwaba locked down next season rather than having to scrap for him this offseason and try to fight with other teams to potentially sign him as a free agent. So this was a big move by ownership, and, and I'm one of the first people to call them out when they aren't doing what I think they should be doing. So I'm also going to be one of the first people to give the ownership group credit when they make a move that is in the best interest of the franchise. You just set me up for this one. The last thing I had for you, uh, speaking of Tillman Fertitta, do you think this incredibly bizarre set of circumstances gives Maury and D'Antoni an automatic one more year of job security considering, you know, this weird offseason where you really don't have a chance to kind of re- reload and, and go through this whole process of a new GM or a new coach? Not in the slightest. If the Rockets have a disappointing first round or a disappointing second round or a disappointing Western Conference finals, even I think Dan Tony's probably his time is probably up. And that might be unfair given the circumstances, given everything going on. That's probably not a, a fair shake to MDA. But I think that was always the case. I think that the bare minimum this season for the Rockets and for MDA's tenure here in Houston is a competitive Western Conference finals because that's where they've been before. And that is now the bar. If you make it to the Western Conference Finals, but you're out, but you're outed by the Lakers or the Clippers in five games or six games, that's not good enough. They're probably a slight cut below those two L.A. teams as far as just quality of team in the West. And so it might be unfair to expect that from them to to put out a competitive Western Conference Finals as the absolute bare minimum for MDA to retain his job. But they've been there before. They did that against the Golden State Warriors. That's the bear. That's the bar. And it's set very high. And if they don't reach that, I would not be surprised to see MDA leaving Houston. If he goes down three one in a series, you know, does does MDA all of a sudden get a get a cough going? And I mean, I don't want to make light of it, but like, like you know, it, this is such a weird set of circumstances, and I, I kind of have a hard time believing that there you could go out and and find a coach and do all of this stuff in, in this type of off season. But I, I guess what we know for a fact, right, uh, is that Tillman Fertitta, it's it's not his call. This is Daryl's call, right, right. It is supposedly Daryl Morey's call. And here's the thing is that with the Nwaba signing and with them committing, obviously, to small ball moving forward past just this season, I do think it bodes well for Mike D'Antoni. I think it it kind of sh- it kind of points to the organization wanting to maybe run this back one more year. And if it is a disappointing first round or disappointing second round or disappointing Western Conference finals, I do think the they'd be hitting that reset button on the coach coach's chair because that's the only other place you can really improve. The Rockets don't have, you know, I, we already kind of covered this. They don't really have any tradable assets. Their, their area that they could potentially improve in is by using the non-taxpayer MLE to draw in one more significant rotation player. But if you do that, then you 
probably miss out on Austin Rivers, who is able to become a free agent this offseason. So Austin Rivers, you know, already took a pay cut to stay in Houston one summer, last summer specifically. And I I don't really see him taking another pay cut to stay in Houston, especially if they're going to use their non-taxpayer Emily to go out and try and grab another rotational player. So the Nwaba, the Nwaba move was it's not Austin Rivers insurance. If he leaves, it's just to add another wing to their lineup. But they, they just don't have a lot of places to improve. They're locked in with their super, superstars, I should say. They're locked in with their supporting cast. Where's the only other place that they can improve on? It's coaching. That's it. That's the only avenue to potentially you know, raise the needle a little bit to catch up to the two L.A. teams is to improve your coaching situation. I like to point to the fact that Nick Nurse came out of nowhere and coached the Raptors to a championship. And there's probably a handful of young, hungry coaches who would love to, you know, step into the Rockets head coaching role and, you know, take their shot with a tandem duo of James Harden and Russell Westbrook at the helm. That would be a dream scenario for an upcoming coach to be able to step into a role just like Nick Nurse did with the Raptors and Kawhi Leonard and their amazing supporting cast. You know, does it happen? It remains to be seen. It kind of it, it largely depends on how this playoffs go. Yeah, I'm going to be shocked if NBA is is gone after all this. It's just I think it's just all the set of circumstances combined. And, and I think what you said there at the end was perfect. It's it's going to be difficult when you've committed all this to small ball and you've got one of the best small ball coaches that ever lived but it should be i'm just interested to see if any of this happens and i hope we're talking about basketball and it's going to happen and as opposed to it's not going to happen but uh jackson i'll just close it out by saying we're we're doing another one of these shows over on lockdown rockets on the podcast i i think at this point everybody knows about your podcast but i'm looking forward to to going over on your side and, and talk with you in the next few days too Absolutely. It's going to be fun. We'll dive into the schedule a little bit, talk about talk about a couple of the seeding games, and I'm absolutely looking forward to it. Thanks for doing this, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.